Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Leah, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, May 6, 2013, and today we're reading from the big book. We are studying Bill's story on page 9, approximately three paragraphs down, beginning with, I was aghast. And today's readers are Penny E., Rebecca, Judy B., and Melanie. The share ID number for yesterday's special edition, that's Sunday, May 5th, Robin's Story, 4408. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, Our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Lois to read the 12 steps. Good morning, everyone. Excuse me. My name is Lois. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Massachusetts, and I have the privilege of reading the 12 steps this morning. One, we admitted we were powerless over food and that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory of our in inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I will pass. I will now call on Meg to read the 12 traditions. Thank you, Claire. Good morning. My name is Meg, and I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Vermont. The 12 traditions. One. Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, The only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, 
Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, thus problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA, as such, ought never be organized but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10. Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. And with that, I will pass. Thank you, Lois and Meg. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And today we resume our study of the big book. We are currently studying Bill's story on page 9, approximately three paragraphs down on the page, beginning with, I was aghast. And I will ask Penny E. to begin reading, please. Yes, thank you, Leah. Good morning, everybody. My name is Penny E., a recovered compulsive overreader from South Jersey. He looked straight at me, simply, but smilingly. He said, I've got religion. I was aghast. So that was it. Last summer, an alcoholic crackpot. Now I suspected a little cracked about religion. He had that starry-eyed look. Yes, the old boy was on fire, all right. But bless his heart, let him rant. Besides, my gin would last longer than his preaching. But he did no ranting. In a matter-of-fact way, he told how two men had appeared in court, persuading the judge to suspend his commitment. They had told of a simple religious idea and a practical program of action. That was two months ago, and the result was self-evident. It worked. Oh, boy, love it. History in the making here. History, history, history. Penny E., recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. If it wasn't for this uh, incident, we might not even be here today. You know, this was the beginning. Bill was uh, very, very close to his bottom. Just, well, just roll back a little bit in case you're just coming onto the meeting today or in case you have a memory lapse. Um, Bill is getting down to his... Last straw, suicide looks like a step up, and he's in his kitchen drinking, 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 and uh, he gets a phone call from a dear old friend who used to drink with him, did all kinds of crazy things. There was a time they chartered an airplane to complete a JAG together, he and Ebby Thatcher. 
And he had all kinds of stories about how Evie was committed for uh, alcoholic craziness, whatever disorder. And now here he was standing at his door, sober, sober. And Evie says, I've got religion. Wow. Um, this is a program of attraction. Evie comes to him because, you know, I'm not exactly sure where this is in the, in the history of uh, the Oxford group or anything like that, but in the beginning there were six steps, and the last step was continue to work with other alcoholics. So Ebby is doing this. He's making a 12-step call or a six-step call. I'm not even sure if there was a step at this time. Somebody else may know that. But he had to do this. His life depended on coming to somebody else and bringing the program of attraction. He had to do it or else he wouldn't survive. Um, it's, uh, and Bill was, was aghast. He was absolutely aghast. Religion? Are you kidding me? Of all things, not religion, but a program of, an act of, uh, program of attraction. Ebby stood there. He was sober. He looked nice. He had showered. He was dressed up. Bill said, maybe I should listen to this guy. So let's listen to what happens, and I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Penny. Anyone else like to comment on what was read? Star one to unmute. Katie. Katie, go ahead. Good morning. I'm Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. But bless his heart, let him rant. Besides, my gin would last longer than his preaching. You know, he's not even thinking about his well-being. He's thinking about himself and that, um, you know, as soon as he stops talking, he can go back to drinking. And, you know, but that's the great um, miracle of this program is that uh, even besides his best thinking, which was to uh, go back to the gin, he got sober. And here we are today. You know, and that was my experience, too, that I, I didn't believe that I was going to recover when I started to recover. I, you know, had just this little spark of willingness, and I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know that um, I had quit for good when I quit for good. And, um, you know, he did no ranting, and, and no one did any ranting to me either. They just told me that there was a way out, and I was, for the first time, willing to do what other people told me to do, whereas before, I was not. I always had an excuse for why I picked up, and I always thought my situation was slightly unique, and therefore, I could not stay abstinent. Um, that was two months ago, and the result was self-evident. It worked. It worked for this man, and it could work for him. And, you know, the, the thing is, is his, Bill's recovery did not stay um, contingent on Ebby, because Ebby, um, as history tells us, he went back out. I don't really know what happened between Bill and Ebby from this day. I'm not the historian of the group, but I do know that Bill had to get his own relationship with God. And, you know, I, uh, I'm grateful for the people in my life who helped me along the way, but my greater dependence is on my higher power. And I cannot, I had to stop looking for the perfect abstinence, for the per- perfect food plan, and the perfect sponsor, and the perfect meeting, and, you know, lining everything up myself. All I had to do was be willing. And, you know, God gave me just enough willingness to put one 24 hours together. And then, you know, it grew from there. With that, I'll pass. Thank you very much, Katie. Anyone else like to comment on what was read? This is Paula Mishra. Paula and then Janice, please. Thank you. Thank you. This would be Paula, recovered compulsive reader. You know, we see here that word. He had that starry-eyed look. 
You notice Bill has taken a lot of emphasis on these last three paragraphs, talking about his eyes. There was something about his eyes. He saw something there. That's it. Let's get out of Ebby's eyes. This is what Bill saw. This is what Bill saw. And then he said, and I got I to gotta say, but bless his heart, let him rant. Bill, I'm telling you, ain't he just quite the guy? But that part, now this is what threw him. But, now there's the but. So disregard what was said. He did no ranting. In a matter-of-fact way, that was it. Even how we speak and what we speak and how we read and what is heard, in a matter-of-fact way, just told how two men had appeared in court, persuading the judge to suspend his commitment. They have told of a simple, oof, a simple religious ideas and practical program of action. Now, this is it again. This is what Bill is seeing and hearing. That was two months ago, and the result was self-evident. It worked. That's what Bill saw. Wait a minute. Can this be my friend, Ebby? Can this be my friend, Ebby? But that but he did no ranting. Teaches you even here, how do we approach someone? Even here, a lesson to be heard. The miracle is unfolding, but a lesson there for us, too. All of us. Thank you for allowing me to share. With that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. And Janice, please, thanks. Thank you, Leah. Good morning. Good morning, Vision, for you. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. So here, can you just picture it? Can you just picture it? Here is Bill W. hanging on by a thread, hanging on by a thread. And here's something to look forward to, an old friend, an old friend coming to visit, an old friend coming to visit. But what does he see when Ebby walks in the door? You know, Ebby was an alcoholic of his type. Ebby was the kind of alcoholic like Bill was. And they had many adventures yet in their past together, many tragic adventures, many consequences of their drinking, maybe some fun times too mixed in there, but they they were alcoholics of a certain type. And that's what I think makes Ebby's visit even more stunning to Bill because he is seeing his friend. He wasn't who Bill had remembered. He was not the same person. And Bill could see that. Something was inexplicably different about him. And he could see it. He could see in the look in his eyes. He could see fresh-faced, skin glowing, you know, not that haggard, alcoholic look. Can you imagine what Bill W. looked like to Ebby? (laughs) Can you imagine? Underweight, shaky, gray, tasty, pale, skinny, all the physical manifestations of the disease had Bill. But here was his friend, and he could tell there was something inexplicably different about his friend. But Bill was in that place, you know, contempt prior to investigation. No matter what was going on, he, he was already in that place of scorn. He was already in that place of, you know, looking at him and making a judgment. I've got religion. I've got religion, is how Ebby put it. And Bill was aghast. His response, he was aghast. He couldn't believe it. So that was it. So that was it. You know, a crackpot alcoholic and now a crackpot religious guy. You know, that was what Bill was thinking. But bless his heart, Bill said, let him rant. Let him tell me his whole deal You know, my gin will outlast that. I can still drink. But what he found was that Evie approached him in a way only another alcoholic could approach him. And he did no ranting. He did no ranting. He talked quietly. He talked quietly about what had happened to him and just spelled it out and just said they had how these men appeared in court and saved him from yet another court sentence and that they had an idea, a simple idea that had worked. 
And here Eddie was, and he was clearly, clearly changed, clearly different. And Bill said he was curious. He was curious because something different was going on here. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much, Janice. My name is Leah, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. I, too, just wanted to comment on a couple things that I see in here. He looked straight at me simply but smilingly. He said, I've got religion. Um, You know, as was summed up, you've got Ebby on one side of the table and Bill in not such a great situation on the other. And this is where the identification process is so, so important because Bill knew Ebby very, very well. Bill knew how Ebby drank. He knew that if Ebby was staying sober, some power, something was happening to Ebby that had to be working in Ebby's life. And Bill may not like it, <laughs> admittedly so, right? Bill says, I was aghast. He doesn't like it. But that's beside the point because Ebby is sitting there as living proof that something is working in his life. Bill does not like it. His mind is going to clamp shut. But the living proof is sitting across the table. And that's what recovered people have to offer today to newcomers. Because when we talk to newcomers, we are living proof that some power greater than human power is working in our lives also. And whether the newcomer likes it or not really is beside the point. Because we're living proof of it, that something's working in our life, just like Ebby is living proof of it to Bill. And this is also demonstrating, Ebby's demonstrating here, he decided to pay a visit on his friend Bill. It's the same, even though it came out of the Oxford uh, group, it's the same uh, principle of service, of helpfulness to others. It's one of the major tenets of the Oxford group, and, of course, it's one of our major principles, too, is service. So Abby's doing his best right now to carry a message of hope, to carry a message message of salvation uh, to Bill. And so he's seeking to carry that, that message to a hopeless drunk, and that hopeless drunk at this point is Bill Wilson. Another thing I just wanted to point out here is they had told of a simple religious idea. What is that simple religious idea? That simple religious idea actually is step two, right? Step two is what Bill is going to have to wrestle with right now. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. That, that's the whole thing right here is Bill lacks soundness of mind. He is insane when it comes to drink, when it comes to making a decision to pick up that first drink. So what's going to restore his sanity? Well, a power greater than himself and a practical program of action. You and I know that is the steps. What are the steps? The steps are a group of principles. They are action steps, which if practiced as a way of life will do two things. Number one, it will rid us of the obsession to compulsively overeat. Or for Bill, it will expel that obsession of the mind for that first drink. And two, it enables the sufferer to become happily and usefully whole. So those 12 steps, that practical program of action is designed to give us freedom. For Bill, freedom from alcohol. For you and I, freedom from that tormenting thought of taking that first bite. And with that, I pass. Anyone else like to comment on these paragraphs before we move on? This is Christy. Christy, your turn. Uh, thank you, Leah. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, A Vision for You. This is Christy, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And, you know, I just wanted to talk about being aghast for just a moment. Um, you know, for me, uh, I was much more aghast at how this program was presented to me than I was that I weighed 340 pounds. You know, I was aghast that this program sound. you know, I was aghast at the language that was used in the big book when I came to OA in 1994. You know, I focused more on the pronouns in the book. I focused on the fact that they, 
you know, use the word God. It seemed like it was every other word was the word God and, and that this program was written. It was somehow a religious movement, a cult, if you will, that was, you know, cloaked in recovery. And that's what I focused on. I was much more aghast at all of that than, the, than I was um, at the fact that I weighed 340 pounds. You know, I, I walked in asking for help, and then when help was offered to me, I was the chief critic of the help that was offered to me. You know, I, I focused on the way this book was written and printed and published in 1939. And here it is, 1994, and I'm, uh, you know, sitting in the rooms um, somehow, you know, criticizing the millions of people that have found recovery through this, you know, through this movement that started at that kitchen table. And for me, what it took, you know, instead of focusing on that, you know, focusing on the fact that I was vacillated between being an agnostic who was an atheist, um, you know, it finally took this disease bringing me to my knees um, and um, several more years of sitting in the OA rooms, you know, criticizing the language in this book and trying to figure out a food plan and doing all of those things on my own, even though I was sitting in the chairs of OA meetings, you know, it finally took me um, being aghast at myself and uh, all of the methods I was trying. And, you know, if people wanted me to believe in a power greater than myself or that's what they did to be to get recovered, you know, sign me up. I don't care. And I got to the point where my disease beat me into a state of being teachable and um, reasonableness, as it says in the big book. That's what our disease can do for us if we allow it. And uh, finally, finally said, all right, I'll do whatever it takes. I will do whatever it takes. I'll even give up my food if that's what it takes. That was the biggest thing I ever had surrendered in my entire life. And that opened up an entire new world for me that I never could have imagined. And, um, and you, know, it, you know, eternally grateful for that. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you very much, Christy. Now let's move on to the next paragraph with Rebecca, please. Rebecca, star one to unmute. Judy B., might you be available? Leah, I'm sorry. Can you hear me now? Yes, we can. I'm so sorry. Good morning. This is Rebecca, compulsive overeater, recovered from Connecticut. He had come to pass his experience along to me. If I cared to have it, I was shocked, but interested. Certainly, I was interested. I had to be, for I was hopeless. And what I'd like to share on this paragraph is that I'm remembering that I had gone to OA um, in the past, and I kind of forgot about that. Um, I had attended maybe five meetings, probably years ago and I guess I didn't care to have it Um, I couldn't relate to what they were talking about and I didn't stick with it and I guess I didn't think I was hopeless at that point and uh, ready to receive but this time around um, I knew I was hopeless or seemingly hopeless anyway and um the words that I heard from the people in OA um, impacted me in a way that I wanted what they had. I was interested. And um, I guess for Bill this time, <clears throat> he realizes that he is interested because um, he admits to himself that he is hopeless, which is um, step one. And somehow... Um, by the grace of God, I, like Bill, could see this time around that I was hopeless and was willing to do whatever it takes. 
And the strange thing for me is that whatever it takes isn't so bad. It's actually quite joyful and wonderful and um, not something to um, judge harshly and have a closed mind about, but to have an open mind about. And um, Ebby isn't trying to convince him. He's just offering what he has, carrying the message for those who are interested. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Rebecca. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Kim. Kim, your turn. Good morning, Leia. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim Jay, and I'm a recovered compulsive reader from South Jersey. Certainly, I was interested. I had to be, for I was hopeless. This is the how essential step one is. Because let's, let's be honest here. The steps, they really don't make a lot of sense. You know, we come into this program and we're fat, or we're anorexic, or we're bulimic. And we're saying, well, give me the diet. I just need to get my weight under control. I'm an emotional leader. Teach me how to get my emotions under control. Diet and exercise. I need to learn to be gentle with myself. I need to learn to accept myself. That's what I need. That's how we come in. And until we understand the true nature of our disease, we're not going to be willing to do these steps. Because how come if I'm fat, you're going to tell me that I have to look at my life and the things that I've done wrong? You're going to, I have to look at my character defects? I have to go out and make an amends? I have to go out, I have to make, I have to find a relationship with this higher power that as a child I couldn't stand. I have to go, I have to make, a, I have to have a daily contact with this higher power. I have to practice these principles in all of my affairs. Oh, come on, if people would just do what I wanted them to do, everything would be okay. These steps don't make a lot of sense. But when you truly understand the futility and fatality of this disease, if you understand that you have an allergy of the body that will never, ever change, I don't care how long you're abstinent, you will always have an allergy of the body. But even worse, when you're abstinent, that's when the problem really starts because we are restless, we are irritable, and we are discontent. So I cannot eat because the body will damn me to, to the allergy. And I cannot not eat because my mind is going to tell me to go back over and over and over again. So what choice do I have? I had to be interested. I had to be because I was hopeless. You know, and the paragraph before, this simple religious idea, I'm not open to this simple religious idea until I know I'm hopeless. And that practical program of action, action, not listening to vision for you every day, not getting the perfect sponsor, not doing a certain number of tools, not you know, controlling my environment of people, places, and things, but this program of actions, of steps. Am I going to be willing to do those actions unless I know that I'm screwed, unless I understand that I am doomed to an alcoholic destruction if I don't do it? Because this program is not for people who need it. It's not for people who want it. This program is for people who do it. And it says here, that it was two months ago and the result was self-evident. And how many times do we hear, well, do a step a year. Wait till you're abstinent for six months before you even think about doing a step. I think you need to slow down, baby. Slow down. You're taking this way too fast. In two months, Evie was recovered. Two months. Because at that point, when you are interested and you had to be because you were hopeless, that's when you're motivated. That's when you're willing to take this program of action. Once you start to feel a little better, once you lose a couple pounds, once things start to go, quote, unquote, going your way, you're not going to be willing to take this program of action. So that is why it's so essential when you are interested and you had to be because you were hopeless, you need to run towards, launch yourself at, run towards those steps. Because if not, you will get complacent you will think the allergy is not being triggered, and your mind will tell you to go back because it wasn't as bad as you remember. And when you go back, it'll be worse. Because as if you are a compulsive overeater of my type, it always gets worse. It never gets better.
And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Anyone else like to comment on what was read? Melanie? Melanie, go ahead, please. Hi, good morning. Good morning, everyone. My name is Melanie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Oregon. And um, is anybody else remembering that that he's drinking gin? (laughs) I was sitting here drinking gin. He was just... um, thinking about how much he had in the house, if he's going to have enough to last. And um, he now is listening under the influence of gin to some information in a closed mind, state of mind. I'm putting myself in that same spot. I'm closed-minded. I don't give a, you know, give a good doll darn about, you know, about, you know, religion or any other kind of, of, of um, plan I'm thinking about myself. I'm completely self-centered and absorbed in the thing that I love the most here, and I'm listening. And I wanted other ideas. I had other ideas. My 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 friend, my my eating slash drinking person buddy is coming here, and I had other ideas all together. And I have all this swirling around in my gin-infested head, you know, throughout my body. And this is just shocking to me to even listen to it. Let alone, it's, he mentioned that it's shocking to him. And the two things that are together here. I'm hopeless. Somehow, through this insane thinking, through this place and state of mind of intoxication, he was able to know to the heart of heart of himself that he, in fact, was hopeless and that there was something cutting through all of this in the story that was being said. So the combination I'm thinking about here is when I'm in the food, I'm eating, I'm, I can't even think about giving it up or live without it or whatever, but something came in and interrupted all of that, that broke through all of that, and it was a story of identification and, a, and a, the facts of, of, that were Ebbets' own that um, was breaking through. I think that this is a really significant piece here. There is a turning point, and what is it? You know, when I was in the food, I wanted to know what it was. How was I going to put this food down? What, what, how was I going to make it one minute to the next? And I wanted you to tell me how that was going to happen. I wanted you to take care of it for me. And I see all of that in these few paragraphs that we're reading. And the significant piece is that that food is still in place. And he's hearing a story to identify and that's going to make all the difference of something that broke into that moment and that time and all that insanity and intoxication. It's powerful. And we're going to hear the rest here. So stay tuned. With that, I pass. Thank you, Melanie. Anyone else like to comment on what was read? Hi, I'm Leah from New York. Leah, go ahead. Hi, I'm listening to all of this, and I'm reading in a lot of flashback going back about the fact that I was hopeless. Um, I never believed that anybody or anything could do anything. I thought that there was a magic. I needed a magic cure to lose my weight and to become sane because I thought the whole world was crazy and I was the normal one. And then it came to a point where I realized that I couldn't do anything because... I was so addicted to the food that it was just, my existence was just miserable. And then when the doctor um, diagnosed me as diabetes, that was it. That was the gift of desperation that I had. And and, and it came to a point where I had to open my eyes and my ears and listen to what others were saying. Because until then, I believed that I knew everything and nobody else knew anything. Nobody else understood how... um, sick how anything about my life or anything i was nobody else could understand it it was only as a result of the desperation the hopelessness that i was able to open my eyes and my ears listen to other people and come to a state of recovery where um i am with god's help a work in progress one day at a time today um I, and it 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 was it was that hopelessness, it was that desperation that brought me to the point where I could listen and I could hear that I needed to develop my own relationship with God, the God of my own understanding, and follow the steps and listen to the instructions that I was given because until then I always knew that I, whatever I, that I knew better than everybody else. And it was the hopelessness and the desperation that proved that that was not the case. So thanks for letting me share, and with that, I'll pass. 
Thank you, Leah. Anyone else like to comment on what was read? Star one, not unmute. Well, I'll just say that uh, yay for Bill. You know, uh, it says here, um, I was shocked but interested. Certainly I was interested. I had to be, for I was hopeless. Yay! You know, when we get to that point, we, we are so beaten to a pulp, and we just throw in the towel and say, I give up, you know, uh that's a wonderful, wonderful place to be. Because once we've accepted powerlessness, and powerlessness means 100% powerlessness, that means that once you've accepted that, you realize that anything that comes from your own resources, and Bill realized, you know, anything that came from his own resource, his willpower, his effort, his goals, he's such a determined person. Remember, he was going to be, uh, you know... <laughs> The king of the hill, he was going to uh, be, you know, his talent for leadership would place him at the head of vast enterprises with which he would manage with the utmost assurance. But the disease did its job. The disease beat him to a pulp. You know, he self-knowledge hadn't worked. I mean, he was given the lowdown from Dr. Silkworth. That wasn't enough. He's a highly intelligent, brilliant man. Um, but he, you know, could can see here because the disease, it's nothing intellectual. The disease has beat him to a pulp. The disease has done his job, uh, its job. I mean, once you realize that your human resources alone simply aren't sufficient, then that becomes, step one becomes the foundation of your recovery. And step two can be built upon that. Because you can throw in the towel and say, I don't know. Because now you realize you can't rely on yourself. So you're, and, and to continue drinking, in Bill's case, means disaster. I mean, it, it is truly, obviously, leading him to insanity or death. That's very clear from the progression of the disease. So the choices have narrowed down to either Bill relying on some power greater than himself or being doomed to an alcoholic's death. Same choices you and I have. And the big book teaches us those aren't easy alternatives to face, but they're the only ones you got. It's either door number one, continue to eat yourself to death. Or door number two, embark on a spiritual journey. <laughs> there is no door number three. So God comes through the wound here. It says, I had to be for I was hopeless. I relate to that. You know, I love a group of recovered people. I love the energy. I love the laughter. I love to laugh. Ask anyone who knows me and who has sat with me in a few face-to-face -face meetings. Love to laugh. But it wasn't the laughter that brought me into these doors. It was the tears. It was the terror. It was the fear. It was the eating with the urgency and desperation that I had never known before. That was the motivator. You know, I came here because I didn't want to die. And also because I did not want to live in the way I was living. Because I lived in a way which was absent of any quality of life. It was torture. Absolute torture. So I got to the point where a life based on the belief that God exists was going to be far superior to a life without that foundation. Whether I believed it or not. I just had to act like I believed it. And God would prove himself to me. So this is a great place that Bill is at. Great place that Bill is at. When the disease beats you to a pulp. When you've had enough and you're exhausted and you throw in the towel and say, I don't know. And I don't know who God is. And I don't know where he is. And I don't care what it is. But please rescue me from myself. That's a great place to be. With that, I pass. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Carolyn. Carolyn, your turn. Yeah, that, that, those last two sentences are, are truly the ones that did it for me. Certainly, I was interested I had to be, for I was hopeless. And on page 58, 
under how it works, it goes on to say, there are those too who suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders, but many of them do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. I, and it goes on to say that, you know, being, being hopeless doesn't mean that you're helpless. It goes on to explain to me that hopelessness is not the end of the world for me. I thought I was one of those constitutionally incapable people of ever grasping this program. I thought I was that hopeless and helpless. But I didn't realize until I get into this book and started studying this book and hearing all the recovered people share about how being hopeless doesn't mean that you're helpless. That I could help myself if I wanted to get this program. I could. All I had to do was be willing and open-minded to anything that was being said. And it incorporated and included changing my perception of a higher power because that wasn't working for me. And I couldn't, I admitted I was powerless, but I couldn't give everything over to God as I understood him because I didn't understand him the way I needed to. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Carolyn. Anyone else? like to comment on what was read. Penny E. Leia. Go ahead, Penny. This is Paula. Good morning. Comment. Penny and then Paula. Thanks. Penny E., recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Two things are sticking out to me. Um, you know, he had religion. I was aghast. If there's anybody on this phone who was ready to hang up the phone, ready to close the book, ready to pack their bags and leave because he had religion, Please don't, because um, more is revealed in this book. You know, more is re- there's actually a, a, a chapter in here that we're going to get to, we agnostics. So if religion is a turnoff to you, uh, just please, like what we just read, um, I was interested, I had to be, for I was hopeless. If you're hopeless, if you can identify in with that, that I was hopeless, you know, the only other place for me to go is death, suicide, stick in, hang in there. You know, there's still hope. The other thing that really strikes me here is the um, the strength of one alcoholic bringing the program of recovery to another alcoholic. There's nothing more powerful. A doctor can't do it. A family member can't do it. And what I see so much in Overeaters Anonymous are people who come in and almost get the first step and then they're right there on the 12th step. You know, come on in. They want to bring their families in. They want to do this. Please don't do that. Please don't do that because you're actually, it's, it's not what the program says. It has to be a recovered compulsive overeater bringing the program to somebody else. You know, there's other ways of doing service and uh, other ways of, of, um, of following these steps. But to try to 12-step somebody and bring the program of recovery to somebody when you don't have it, we can't give what we don't have. So thanks for letting me share. I'll pass. Thank you. Penny and Paula, please. Thank you. This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Ovita. You know, I just looked at that first line, and that's where I want to stay. He had come to pass his experience along to me. They're the program. A few words, isn't it? Now, this is love. Oh, now I got it. I'm going to keep it. Oh, boy, ain't this grand? No, I'm going to give it away. But you know, you see in Bill, doesn't it remind you of a child trying to do something, and they're just so frustrated, and they're trying, and you just got to wait. You got to wait until they finally stop. When they finally stop, and they look, and they see. That's what happened to Bill. He had finally stopped, like the child that was stamping their feet. I can do it. I can do it. No, no, let me try. Let me try. Okay. Okay, try again, honey. Try again. But finally, when they finally put their hands down and they look at you, and then Abby appeared. Thank you for allowing me to share. With that, I do pass. Thank you. Anyone else before we move on to the next paragraph? Okay, I'll take that as a no. Judy B., would you read the next paragraph, please? This is Judy B., Recovered Compulsive Overeater. He talked for hours. Childhood memories rose before me. I could almost hear the sound of the preacher's voice as I sat, 
on still Sundays, way over there on the hillside. There was that proffered temperance pledge I never signed. My grandfather's good-natured contempt of some church folk and their doings. His insistence that the spheres really had their music, but his denial of the preacher's right to tell him how he must listen. His fearlessness as he spoke of these things just before he died. These recollections welled up from the past. They made me swallow hard. I can just think as I read this paragraph, um, just picture Bill and Abby together talking. And at this point, Bill is, is sensing that there might be a little hope here, that his friend, and Bill knew him well, his friend was a, a, a drunk who, who loved to drink, uh, and, and Bill had enjoyed drinking with him. Now his friend seemed different. You know, now, now he has hope of a different life. And, and I'm thinking about this as a, a 12-step call. Really here, um, Bill knows Ebby. Ebby doesn't have to spend a lot of time talking about his past because Bill knows him. He knows what he was like. You know, that there doesn't have to be any convincing here. You know, Bill, Bill knew him well. And what Bill was seeing here was the change. The change in the change that that happened uh, to Ebby, and what it did for Bill was to bring up his past memories, and he and he thought about um, listening to the preacher on Sundays. You know, he thought about that temperance pledge he never signed. He thought about his grandfather and how they used to have talk about um, these kind of things. You know, his recollections welled up from the past. And he said, they made me swallow hard. So, so Bill was, was really seeing that um, life could be different for him. Uh, you know, perhaps he needed to think about these things. And um, one thing that I, I just would like to mention is that when we we're in program for a while, we, we come to know people really well. And one of the joys... Um, of that is watching people change. I mean, we've seen them. You know, we've been friends with them when they were at their worst, and uh, they see what happens with us, how we recover, and and it gives them hope. I, I know it, it gives them hope, and that's one of the joys of, of having uh, many people around you um, because we learn from each other and we share with each other, and... This is this is a program where um, there is hope. There is hope, and um, with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Judy. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? Star one to unmute. Hi, this is Dawn from Delaware. Dawn, go ahead. Um, I have to say, this is one of the most beautiful passages um, in the big book for me. Um, his recollection of his grandfather um, and his insistence that the spheres really had their music, but his denial of the preacher's right to tell him how he must listen and his fearlessness as he spoke of these things just before he died. Um, his grandfather got it, and uh, the whole time um, Bill was not receiving that. And I think that... Hello? Go ahead. Hello? Okay. Um, and that paragraph moves me. Um, those words move me every time. Um, I think about the people in my life who did get it, and uh, and it brings back memories for me. Um, and I'm grateful with this program. Um, I came into this program 
uh, about a week after I'd just gotten out of a month in the mental hospital. And uh, and providentially, at the point when I was um, uh, ready to die not on the layaway plan um, at 270 pounds, um, that was the layaway plan, um, I had a quicker um, uh, method in mind. Um, but I was sitting uh, in, a, in a group therapy that was ordered for me, um, and I was mentioning about my weight, and a gentleman there um, stayed behind at the meeting and told me about this program. And I went, and uh, my life was saved in, in many, many ways, and, uh, and I'm grateful, and I do know today that the, mu- the spheres really do have their music, and I passed. Thank you very much. Anyone else like to offer a comment before we close this morning? All right. Well, I'll just wrap up. You know, obviously, Bill, it says he talked for hours. Childhood memories rose before me. Bill is taking a look back at, uh, you know, the influences that he's had on his life in childhood that helped to create an imprint regarding God. Uh, It says here, my grandfather's good nature contempt of some church folk and their doings, Um, you know, his denial of the preacher's right to tell him how he must listen Uh, We all have influences. Uh, Adults have influences on children. Sometimes we make decisions at a young age, and we carry out those decisions throughout a lifetime, um, even though they're not working any longer. You know, perhaps Bill uh, made a decision, you know, at a young age that uh, there was some hypocrisy going on. Uh, perhaps that idea was implanted in him by his the adults in his life. You know, thank God for the second step, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity because it allows us to re-examine those old ideas and attitudes. You know, with the help of step one, we realize we are powerless and our lives are unmanageable. And unless we let go of our distrust and this spiritual misunderstanding that we have and begin to lean on God, we're going to continue to operate in an insane manner. And the chaos and the confusion in our lives will only increase. So although Bill may be still harboring some childhood uh, angst and confusion regarding God because of the disappointments and because of the influence that he's had in his childhood, um, he is not going to be completely free until he totally yields to God. And that's true for each and every one of us. That is true for each and every one of us. That's why these steps, through the process of the steps, our minds can open up, and then God can prove to us that there's a God. And once that happens, no one can improve upon that. That's what the steps are all about. That is the whole purpose of this book. It says on page 45, page 45, it says, lack of power. That was our dilemma. We had to find a power by which we could live. And it had to be a power greater than ourselves, obviously. But where and how were we to find this power? Well, that's exactly what this book is about. Its main object is to enable you to solve, to enable you to find a power greater than yourself which will solve your problem. That's the whole purpose of this book. So, you know, Bill has a spiritual misunderstanding. He has a spiritual immaturity. You know, we're immature in other ways. Sometimes we're undeveloped intellectually. Sometimes we're, uh, we have an immaturity. We're emotionally underdeveloped. Well, we can have a spiritual uh, immaturity as well, a spiritual misunderstanding. And 
The steps allow us to take a look at those root causes and conditions. How did those attitudes and ideas get implanted in us? When did our minds clamp shut or get locked on certain ideas? That's what the steps are all about, to allow us to re-examine those decisions and ideas and attitudes and make changes. And with that, I pass, and we'll revisit this tomorrow. Thank you to everyone who participated in today's meeting. And we will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Melanie, are you available to read a vision for you? I am. Thank you, Melanie. Compulsive Overeater Recovered. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you shall surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Pass.